Our scripture for today comes from Isaiah chapter 62. I'll be reading verses 1 through 4. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication, all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Spoiler alert. Learning to see ourselves the way God sees us is a simple concept. Here's how God sees you. Worth loving. Period worth creating, worth nurturing, worth entrusting with God's own mission in this world, worth loving, period. Not only do you have a place in the family of God, you are a beloved child of God, which means you are a member of God's immediate family. Being this intimately connected with God means all the treasures, all the inheritance of heaven are yours. It also means you've inherited the family business. You are one of God's partners on mission to share the truth of grace, reconciliation, and love in our broken world. These days between Christmas and New Year's are often a time of reflection for us, a time to take stock of our lives and to begin envisioning the year ahead After we've raced to the manger between Thanksgiving and Christmas, overindulged in our spending and eating, we begin to come to our senses and out of our sugar comas around this time of year. By January 1st, we're ready to buckle down again and henceforth all those New Year's resolutions. Taking stock of our lives and envisioning the year ahead is different on December 27th, 2020 than it was one year ago. One year ago, I sat in my favorite soft green chair at my parents' house, stealing away time each morning a few hours before anyone else woke up to prepare a sermon for December 29th, 2019. On that Christmas visit to Georgia, I got to hear the patter of my children's feet on my parents' hardwood floors as they snuck into my parents' room to wake them up in the morning and ask Papa for cheese grits. I got to hear the sound of my brother's voice laughing in the living room. I felt the warmth of the gas fireplace and heard all the familiar creaks in my parents' 125-year-old house. Who knew life would change so much in one year? I wonder how your life has changed in the last 12 months. I wonder what memories, what questions, what longings come up as you reflect on the past year 
and begin to envision the year ahead. In today's scripture passage, the task of Isaiah's community is to imagine a new future. Theirs is the difficult work of imagining a new future because they only have one other option, and that option is annihilation. Not so much at the hands of their enemies, but more because of their own inability to come together as a community following 70 years of exile. Now, obviously, annihilation is not the desired option. And so the prophet Isaiah, as prophets do, uses words to pave a narrow path forward for God, for God's people, for their covenant with one another. All kinds of images are used for God's people and for God in the book of Isaiah. Today, God's people are depicted as a woman forsaken by the husband, entrusted with her protection and care. Today's passage is a response to the lament, the lament of God's people in Isaiah 49, verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. For around 70 years, in the time period about 600 years before Jesus was born, God's people were exiled by their enemy, the Babylonians. After a series of unfortunate military and political exchanges, Jerusalem was captured by the Babylonians and there were these subsequent periods of deportation and other terrors for God's people. As you might imagine, when the Babylonians were defeated by the Persians and the Jews were permitted to return from exile to Jerusalem, there were all kinds of issues. Not every Jew experienced the exile and occupation in the same way. Some were exiled, forcibly removed from the area of Jerusalem. Many of these people were probably the elites, highly educated people. Some people were allowed to stay in Jerusalem, but as colonized people. Many of these were probably less wealthy and mostly uneducated. As with any occupation, some Jews became Babylonian officials and benefited greatly from the Babylonian colonization. Can you imagine how complicated it would be to return, to imagine a new future for themselves? The level of suspicion, the disagreement, the hurt, the arguing, the hopelessness of all these different people trying to come back together and find some kind of new future. Prophets in some biblical texts function like Chris Pratt's character in Jurassic World 3 when he negotiates with the velociraptors. Earlier in Isaiah, the role of the prophet is to come at God's people with dire warnings. And now in Isaiah 62, it is the job of the prophet to come at God 
to continue mediating this very difficult conversation between humanity and God. At the beginning of our passage today, the prophet says, I will not be silent, God, until your people are vindicated, restored, shining with their true beauty and wholeness. As you might imagine, the stakes and tensions are high. The situation is delicate. One wrong move and what's left of their cultural fabric will unravel. The work of the prophets is to imagine a new future, though, in which somehow all things are held together. God's relationship with the people, the people's relationships with one another— In response to God's people's lament that the Lord had forsaken them and had forgotten them, the prophet says to God's people, No, your identity is not forsakenness and desolation. Your identity is cherished, comprehensively cared for. Maybe you have no problem at all believing that God sees you as worth loving, that your identity is not forsaken or desolate. You know you are cherished and comprehensively cared for. But even for those who don't have a hard time believing this, behaving as God's beloved is entirely different than just believing it. We can believe all kinds of things, without ever living them. Maybe you are feeling forsaken and desolate. Maybe you do have a hard time believing that you are worth loving, believing that you matter, that you are a partner with God for good in the world. Maybe you're not so sure anymore that you can accept the idea of a sovereign God in the face of the world's nearly Two million coronavirus deaths. Our work in the coming year is to imagine a new future. A future in which all things are somehow held together. As did God's people following their time of devastation, we have some tough things to sort out with God. We have some tough things to sort out with each other. It could get a little dicey. There's going to be heartache this year. There's going to be hard work. We're going to try and we're going to fail sometimes. As we go about the work of living, loving, serving, praying in the coming year, it's going to be important for us to develop habits and practices that help us Genuinely connect with God and genuinely connect with each other. We are going to need God this year. We are going to need each other this year. Investing in relationship with God and with each other needs to be a priority. In the Christian tradition, the whole point is relationship. The wisdom of our faith, mothers and fathers of thousands of years ago, is the practice 
of covenant. Covenant is the language used from generation to generation to describe God's relationship with us and our relationship with God. A covenant is a relationship that necessarily changes our lives. Covenant is giving ourselves to a relationship. It's not a business deal. It's not a contract. It's not a quid pro quo. It is a commitment to a relationship, to protecting the preciousness of that relationship, to deepening the relationship. So we can't really think about our relationship with God as giving God our money or our prayers or our good deeds or our right beliefs and then expecting in exchange salvation. Covenant is about something much more than that. Covenant changes who we are. This requires us to change the way we think and behave, to no longer be just about me but to be about this relationship, about protecting it and deepening it. Marriage is one of the only covenants we have left in the time in which we live. And just like it's possible to believe in God without ever changing our behavior, it's possible to be married and not act like it. Those of you who know my husband, David, know that he is truly the better half. He is better than me. One of our arrangements in our marriage is that David does the dishes. And David does the dishes every night, no matter what. Whether I have used every pot and pan in our kitchen or not. Whether our dishwasher is working or not. David's unwavering commitment to washing the dishes every day is one of the things he does. Because he is committed to our relationship. Committed to protecting the, re- the preciousness of our marriage. Committed to deepening our level of trust by being trustworthy. The tradition passed down to you and to me from God's people 4,000 years ago as God covenanted with Abraham from God's people 3,000 years ago as they returned from the Babylonian exile, from God's people 2,000 years ago as they experienced the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ, the tradition that has been passed down to us, that has the final word in my life, the one I am counting on, is that God does not abandon. God does not forsake. God does not destroy. God moves closer. God tries harder. God is moved to deeper compassion. God does everything God can to protect and preserve the preciousness of our relationship. When we think about it this way, it gives a new ring To Philippians 2, Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself. Taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself, becoming obedient 
to the covenant, even unto death, death on a cross. In an effort to move closer, to try harder, to feel what we feel, to protect our relationship, Christ has come to us. Christ's light and life and love is offered to everyone, to you. It shines on the faithful and the faithless, the good and the bad, the strong and the weak, the ready and the not so ready, the okay and the not okay, the sinful and the righteous. As you look ahead into this year, when you are going to need God and you are going to need others, and others are going to need you, what will it look like for you to behave as one who is cherished and completely cared for by God? What will it look like for you to behave as though others, your neighbors, your community, the human family, is cherished and completely cared for by God? What is God inviting you to do each day, each week, each month, each quarter, to build trust, to protect, to cherish, to deepen your walk with Christ, your walk with your human community? Whatever that looks like, you can trust that Christ will meet you and will shine a light on your path every step of the way. Amen.